Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA Sports. Colin Casey joined by Devin Dobek and Andrew Golden this week. And it was an exciting week for UMass hockey. We look to get into that in just a moment as well as what lies ahead as the Minutemen take on Maine this Friday. And what does the tournament picture look like both in Hockey East and the NCAA? All that coming up here on the Hockey Hour, which is presented by Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley. They've been serving the Pioneer Valley since 2007. Customers can try out the new Ginger Honey Ham Panini New England Clam Chowder or Winter Beet Salad for a limited time only. Along with the Hadley location, Hot Table has seven other stores, two in Springfield as well as two in Connecticut. Hot Table's open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday as they look forward to continuing their service of the Amherst community with specialty paninis hot off the press. More info available at hottable.com. Gentlemen, what a huge weekend it was for UMass. They came in ranked number nine last Friday after a massive win against Providence, 8-1 the final. They go on the road to Chestnut Hill to take on BC, and it was one of the better hockey games I've seen in my four years here at UMass as they went on to beat the Eagles 3-2 in overtime on Mark Delgaizo's first goal of the season. Been a long time coming for the junior drafted by Nashville, finally getting to capitalize on what's been a really good season for him, just hadn't shown up in the goal-scoring department. Guys, what were your initial thoughts after one of the crazier games we've seen this year between UMass and BC? I just thought it showed great resilience from a UMass team that's kind of had trouble finding their identity earlier on this season. You know, they were able to stay out of the penalty box, which at the beginning of the season, Colin, we were talking about how they were leading the Hockey East in penalty minutes. So I thought that was extremely impressive. And then a great example of that resilience can be shown with the Bobby Trevino goal, eight seconds after Boston College took a two nothing lead and, you know, bounces weren't going the Minutemen way. They needed a few in fact, to score on Spencer Knight. And Bobby Trevino comes in, makes a great move, and goes far side on Knight, makes it a one-goal game, and put it in reach for the Minutemen, who are able to, you know, hang on there. So I thought it just was a great example of what this UMass team can do and how resilient they are. Yeah, Devin, you talked about taking it back from from BC. It's like they had the momentum the whole time. It's just you said the unlucky bounces that they were were getting – that pretty much led to the two nothing BC lead. You, we mentioned the the one goal off of a defenseman that Hardman ended up getting, um, and that was just an, an example of like the, just the bad bounces that UMass was getting. But in total, they were pretty much dominating that that starting the end of the first period and beginning of the second. So um, I guess I guess they thought they must have thought that you know they had it that they just had to keep going the way they were going, that the bounces were going to come to them. And that's what eventually ended up happening as they, as they tied it late and, and then got the, got the overtime winner on what was a crazy, crazy goal. You know, we talked about the bounces. That was, that was a bounce for sure that um, couldn't tell if it was going to be a penalty shot, if it was going to go in. But uh, Del Gaizo ends up getting his first, and well deserved. He's he's been he's been good. He's just hasn't shown on the score sheet, like Colin said. Yeah, and I think one of the more interesting parts of that game 
was really the first 20 minutes because no team scored, but boy, were there plenty of chances, 15-14 in shots on goal between both teams. Uh, I, I really thought Lindbergh played so well, especially in that first period. He just won a Hockey East goaltender of the month for the second consecutive month. And big reason why, even though they didn't play much in February, when he played, when they played, he was a big reason why they were winning games. I mean, he has just been lights out the last two months. Ever since he came back from that injury, he's able to regain the starting job from Matt Murray, and he has been a tremendous goaltender and certainly a, a huge plus looking to, towards next year as well as he enters his senior year if he sticks around, of course, being drafted in the seventh round by the Minnesota Wild. But that first period – I think Carvel summed it up best in post game where he said that first 10 minutes, they were a little slow coming out of the gate. They got a little bit better as the period went on, but Lindbergh was able to keep them in it. Alex Newhook had a breakaway at one point and made a huge stop on one of the better goal scorers in the country in Newhook. And once the second period rolled around, you know, BC was able to get two goals, one off of a pretty tough deflection. Mike Hardman ended up getting the goal. He's quietly had a really good season for BC, by the way, with eight goals now for Hardman. And then Jack McBain with an absolute bullet of a one-timer from pretty deep, able to beat Lindbergh. But as Devin had mentioned, a huge bounce back there from Trevino with his eighth goal coming on that quick rush off the draw. I mean, he really just skated through everybody and beat Knight. Not That's something that's certainly easier said than done trying to beat Spencer Knight really at all, who was also really strong throughout this game, by the way, Knight was. he didn't. I don't think BC played all that well defensively in this game. I think Knight covered up a lot of the, of the mistakes that were made on defense because that second period from UMass was, despite giving up those two quick goals, they were really good after that second goal on in the second period. And they were still pretty good in the third period, but I think that 10 minutes they played um, after – or I want to say, let's see how late in the period was it was, it was pretty late in the period. Like the, the five minutes to go in the second period from there on, they were really dominant after that Trevino goal. And I was surprised it didn't tie it sooner. Yeah, Colin, it was definitely one of the better periods I've seen from UMass this season. And you know, they only, they didn't even have the lead uh, BC talk about efficiency. They had two goals on six shots in that second period. UMass was Heppering, they had 14 shots on net. I thought they showed some extreme composure hanging in there despite playing the number one team in the country with, you know, we, me and Colin were analyzing just, just before the game, how a lot of things needed to go right for UMass to jump over Boston university. And they were able to do that with that one there in the hockey East and jump up to the two seed. Now when I mean, which we'll get into later could mean, you know, mean a lot for the Minutemen it, it it really yeah we talked about how uh how BC scored their two goals early on in the second but when they they really had a chance to gain their momentum like we said was the first uh we we mentioned that the first 10 minutes was really good on the part of BC and they really could have taken it away then uh U, UMass could have lost the game there's the saying that you don't win the game in the first half but you can lose it and UMass could have lost it in the first you know 10 or so minutes with the way BC was building the momentum but they they were really able to able to bounce back really well and gain momentum past the past the end of the first and that was um obviously they got their two goals in the second 
really have his momentum, then that's when obviously Bobby five seconds later was able to was able to apologize for uh, my internet. Big reason why a little bit of that at the end got cut off by Andrew. But uh, as I was uh, as he was saying, yeah, that that second period. I know Devin had touched upon it too. The second period really was better than the the, the two to one score said. And it really fed off of the energy that eventually led to Carson Gusevich's goal on a crazy bounce off of an initial shot by Jake God that kind of went sky high in the air. Nobody could find it. Goes off of the shoulder of Gusevich and in. One of the easier of the 12 goals that Gusevich has had this year and a really good year for the graduate transfer out of St. Lawrence. And then eventually, Doug Iza with the game winner, three on three. A lot of people, I'm sure, expected BC to take care of business in that in that overtime because they just have the they have the tools for it. They have some really fast paced scores uh, and 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 fast skaters in general in Matt Boldy and Alex Newhook. Jack McBain, of course, has been really terrorizing UMass. I think three of his six goals this year have come against the Minutemen. Uh, Nikita Nestorenko, a really speedy freshman who was also on UMass's list when he decommitted from Vermont. Uh, so this is a loaded. Te- uh, team talent wise for these, you know, these um, five on uh, three on three overtime periods, but UMass was able to get the better of them. They really controlled it too from the start. I know it took until about the two minute mark for them to score, but they had some really good shifts on night to start the period. And um, I, 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 I was impressed to see them come away with a win. They'd, they had played pretty well in the overtimes. They hadn't really get, been getting the results though, that they were hoping for. So far, they lost in a shootout, I remember, to UConn. Uh, they also uh, lost in a – I think they lost in a shootout to Providence as well, or maybe that one was an OT. Um, but they they finally were able to get over and get a huge win on the road against BC. And I, I don't think – I guess I'll ask you guys this question before I give my opinion on it. Do you think this is more of a testament that BC is, you know, a little bit closer to the rest of the pack for – uh, for Hockey East? Or do you think it's more a statement that UMass is a legitimate Hockey East contender and that they also can make a serious run when it comes to the NCAA tournament? Colin, I think it's a little bit of both. You could look at it a lot of ways. Boston College has been absolutely dominant throughout most of the season. You think back to the two games they played UMass, and one of them, I believe the final was 6-2, and the other one 4-3, which UMass put some life and came back, but I'm pretty sure B had pretty much most of the game so they're strong spend beating top opponents and there's a reason why they're number one in the country you i mean take the bruins for example to think of an outside kind of source you know they had one loss all season they go out and lose four or five you know things change quickly but you know the bruins are the bruins the same way the eagles are the eagles and i think that they're definitely gonna you know take this film and run with it and you know, come tournament time, they're going to be ready for UMass. They're going to, you know, capitalize on the mistakes or rather they're going to review the mistakes they made and, and find ways to sort of, you know, create new opportunities out of them and, and not, and not, you know, have those mistakes uh, for loss of uh, better words. Um, But then UMass also, I mean, coming out of the break with an eight, one win against the Friars. And now you go down to Boston college and score three unanswered to win in overtime. I mean, that that's pretty incredible if you ask me. So I think it's a little bit of both kind of going full circle back to the original question, but only time will tell um, if, you know, these are permanent things for both clubs. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, BC is or was number one for a reason. They're number two now, I believe. I believe UMass knocked them off of number number one. I think that's I think that belongs to North Dakota now. Um, but you know, they they have been the dominant team in the hockey east and throughout NCAA, obviously there's no interconference play, but you know, they they've shown that they have been a top five, top three team all year um in in the country um so i think that was more of a statement win for umass like we obviously last hockey hour we talked about uh the 8-1 win over providence being a statement win but this even even more so beating or knocking off the number one team in the country you know hopping three spots in the in the national rankings from nine to six which is pretty much automatic bid territory for the, for the NCAA tournament, you know? Um, so I, I, I think that, that that was a huge win for UMass in the uh, hockey East and national, you know, uh, point of view. And I, and we said that uh, we said, we said that they're heading into the tournament on, on the right note. So. I'm interested also to see, I'm looking back on last year and when they were going into the remember last year, UMass was going into the uh, going into the NCAA or not the NCAA the hockey East tournament supposed to play Northeastern, but it, the game never took place. They came in eighth and pairwise, obviously pairwise isn't a thing this year. So they're actually a little bit better pacing wise than the, uh, in terms of the, how they're determining it this year. Uh, but I expect them to finish somewhere around sixth to eighth, depending, of course, on this result uh, as, as far as regular season goes. And I know there's a little bit of impact as well on, on postseason play, but that really is more so going to be on the other, uh, the other eight teams in the conference outside of BC, UMass, and probably BU. I think they'll be okay as long as they uh, at least get one of the two games that they have remaining on their schedule. The small sample size, I think, is playing into their advantage a little bit. Who knows, though, uh, once we get to – to the conference tournament, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, as far as where BU measures up to some of these other teams. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to preview UMass's season finale, uh, regular season finale against the Maine Black Bears. They haven't played them yet this year. I'll tell you a little bit about UMass, Maine, and of course, what the conference tournament and and NCAA tournament look like as we get set for March. It's not only not only important for men's basketball, March is also an important month for college hockey. So we'll get you up to speed with that and all, all that and more right here on the 91.1 WMUA and the UMass Hockey Hour. For more than 25 years, residents in the five college area have been getting food brought to their door by Delivery Express. Customers can order from over 85 Pioneer Valley restaurant locations. Almost every local spot in downtown Amherst is available to eat without having to leave your own home using Delivery Express. Online orders can be placed at DeliveryExpress.com. Phone orders are available through their iOS app or by calling 413-549-0077. Welcome back to the UMass Hockey Hour. Colin Casey, Andrew Gold, and Devin Dobeck talking UMass's big win over BC before the break. And now it's time to look ahead into this weekend's matchup as they finally, in their final regular season game, will face the Maine Black Bears for the first time this season at the Mullen Center. That game scheduled for Friday at 2.30. 
we're hoping to have that game on WMUA. I can't confirm that we'll have it just yet, but it's it, we're in the works of getting back in the broadcast booth, which is always a good thing, calling that game. Um, but at this point, n- nothing set in stone yet. Hopefully things stay the same and, and we'll, we'll be able to get a broadcast in that one. So in the meantime, uh, this UMass team, of course, coming off a wave of momentum, beating back-to-back ranked teams, including a win against the BC, uh, number top-ranked BC Eagles, and then three days before that, 8-1 victory over Providence uh, in a statement game for sure. So now let's see if they can take that momentum into the season finale against a main team that has struggled this year, to say the very least. They find themselves in ninth, where in a regular year, they would be outside of the playoffs at 3-10-1. and Merrimack was able to leapfrog them up into that eighth spot. Why is that big? Well, now Merrimack would be in position to host the Black Bears instead of having to go on the road against them in the playoffs. Um, and 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 we all know how tough it is to play at Lawler Rink. I mean, UMass struggled there this year, ended up uh, losing that game on the road against the Warriors. So it could be a real trouble place to play for a lot of these teams. Merrimack 5-11 and 2. Anyways, back to Maine. They haven't been able to really play at home at all this year because of restrictions up in Orono. So they're traveling just for one game. That's going to be, you know, a taxing travel for the Black Bears and Red Gendron squad um, coming into a, uh, a series finale in which they try to spark a little bit of momentum going into that first round of the playoffs. Uh, but what are some of your guys' thoughts of what to expect through this game? We know UMass is trying to keep that momentum going after the long layoff and back-to-back huge victories. There's a lot on the line also for UMass because they find themselves just behind BU for that second spot in the standings based on the Hockey's Power Index or HEPI. Um, They find themselves just .02 back of them, so it's really tight. They win this game. They put all the pressure essentially on BU Well, they have two games, one against UNH on Friday, or I'm sorry, one against UNH on Thursday. So BU will be in action first, and then BU also will travel to UMass Lowell on Sunday. Uh, I think it's Sunday, or no, it's Saturday. So Thursday and Saturday, BU will be in action. So potentially UMass has an opportunity to really put some pressure on that matchup against the Riverhawks for BU. What are your guys' thoughts, though, on how this game will go what you think UMass needs to focus on in a game, which usually isn't too meaningful this late in the season, but with how things are shaping up, it could really make a huge difference. I think you definitely can't take Maine lightly. Coming in, they are 3-10-1, but this game, a loss here would weigh just as much negatively as the, uh, as the win against BC weighed positively. It would almost cancel out. You cannot take this game lightly. It's a must win for the Minutemen coming in. Um, and Maine, you know, who knows? In the hockey East, any given night, almost any given team can win. That's just what it comes down to. And I think this is kind of the icing on the cake if UMass wants to cap off what's been a great run since the COVID break uh, and a ton of momentum as you head into the hockey East. But um, bottom line is you can't think lightly of this game no matter what. Yeah, I'd like to agree with that. And if, if you want to, like, make a reference to it, I think it, it'll kind of be like the uh, the game against Merrimack where they're heading into Lawler Rink. And I think kind of everyone was expecting 
UMass to to come away with the win, but they just weren't able to do it. You know, they they didn't they didn't play their game. They just didn't have the best looking game. And Merrimack Merrimack came out of Lawler uh, with with a four two win over UMass. But uh, in this game, that that last that game against Merrimack, they they uh, they fell against their game. They fell away from the way they played best. And I think if they find that. Obviously, they've been doing that against BC and Providence, but if they keep that going against Maine, like like Devin said, don't take them lightly. Just just play the way they need to play. Then they will be able to come away with the win. And um, especially with Maine having to travel, what is it, five hours? So it's, it's a long bus ride for for one game. So Maine's probably going to be stiff. They're probably going to be cold. Uh, yeah, and UMass just has to take advantage of all of that and play, play their game and win. I remember last time Maine came to UMass, it was December 6th and December 7th, I think, of 2019, where Kale McCarr made his return, and it was Jeremy Swayman that was in net for Maine. And boy, was he, I mean, that was probably the only bad weekend he had all year was when UMass swept the Black Bears uh, at the Mullen Center. Just, he didn't, it really wasn't also all, all on him. He didn't get a whole lot of help defensively. But to be able to soundly beat the best goaltender in the country last year, the way that UMass did was certainly impressive. Not going to be the same thing this time. Matthew Thiessen was the starting goaltender for Maine. I believe they have gone in a different direction since then. I think it's is it Osman, uh, the or I'm I'm blanking on the the kid's name, the freshman who's uh, I, I shouldn't be calling people kid. I don't, I, I know I'm probably like a year older than him at this point. But anyways, um, so they come in with a a, a new goaltending identity because they can't base it off of Swayman, who is absolutely a, a fantastic for them for the for the time he had spent. Uh, with up up in Orono for that team, but they come in this time around with you know kind of a goaltending controversy where they've had to kind of flip back and forth between some different guys and um, the sorry the person I was thinking of their uh, new goaltenders Victor yeah Victor Osman was the name I was thinking of um, he is he got the start in their last game against UConn uh, I know Teeson's gotten a good amount of looks as well interest it'll be interesting to see who they go with in that regard. I mean, Osman might be the guy to they'll be looking at. He's a freshman out of Sweden, get him some more reps, get him, you know, more comfortable. He was had a pretty good season last year in the North, uh, in, uh, the, for the Chicago steel, the USHL, the top, you know, American, uh, junior league in hockey, uh, right now. So goaltending, certainly something to look out for. This is a team that lost two of its top players, uh, top skaters, I should say in, uh, Tim, in Mitch Fossier and Tim Doherty, Doherty now with Penn State, Fossier, of course, uh, signing his uh, entry-level contract after graduating. Um, so it, it, this main team's really a mixed bag. Uh, you've got some guys that are, you know, have been proven to be solid players. Edwards Trailmax is a guy who's been really good for this team uh, for the last. I think this is. I think he's, a, he's been here as long as I've been here. I think he's a senior this year. Um, and Adam Dahl also had a couple of goals against UConn in their last matchup. He has been a real bright spot for this team with five goals, seven assists uh, in 
the games that he's played. I don't know exactly how many. That's got to be close to a point a game because they haven't played a whole lot of games Maine has uh, compared to the rest of the conference. So they do have some talent in there. I think their big issues really is the depth that they don't have. Um, and this isn't the main team we've seen over the last several years that, you know, contended for national championships back in the 90s. I mean, they won two of them. They, they won two national championships in 93 and 99. It seems like forever ago now for I'm sure a lot of the older fans that remember those main teams that also gave UMass a fit of problems and even the early 2000s. But it's been nine years now, coming up on nine years since they last went to the tournament. The only way they're going to be able to find their way in is by winning the Hockey's tournament, and that's going to be a tall task with a lot of talent there. Um, but I think the big thing for UMass, they have to focus like they have been in each of these games at home. Got to treat this game like they were playing B.C., they go into that with the same energy. They're going to be just fine. And I, I like their chances coming out of there with a win as long as they, they don't take their foot off the gas going into the postseason. Speaking of the postseason, hockey's uh, tournament is upcoming. We, we won't know for a little while until, you know, the first round shakes out as far as UMass, who UMass would play. Um, they would face the – if they get the two seed, they would face the second lowest seed remaining if not it would be the third lowest seed remaining out of the first um th- first three games that take place so i guess i'll ask you guys this out of the current bottom six which consists of northeastern umass lowell merrimack maine new hampshire and vermont i know vermont's the easy pick as to who you'd want to face but that's that that's impossible at this point because bc would face them as the number one seed if they make it through so I guess out of the other five, who would you want – if you were a UMass fan, who would you want to face in the first round and feel the most comfortable with in a, in a one-game winner-take-all in the quarterfinals? That's a really tough one for me, Colin. I'll tell you who I don't want to play, which I know is not exactly what you asked, but uh, there's not anyone off the top of my head that I would willingly pick other than Vermont. Um, I would not want to run into Northeastern because they're a team any given night. They can beat any given team. Um, Merrimack, we've had our troubles with, but you know what? I think out of all the teams, maybe Maine or Merrimack, one of those two I'd like to see us play, or rather UMass play. Um, But to be honest with you, there's no one that really jumps off the board at me. Uh, UMass Lowell, another team that's been decent in years past, and I wouldn't put it past them to – come out and, and put together a big game. You never know. Um, but final answer, if I had to pick a team for UMass to play, it would be uh, probably, I mean, we haven't seen Maine play yet, so it's kind of hard for me to choose them. Um, so I guess I'll go Merrimack, even though UMass had trouble with them in the second meeting. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with UNH. Um they they just haven't really looked that great this season, you know. Um, obviously, they didn't have huge expectations. They're kind of in like a little bit of a rebuild. But senior uh, Angus Crookshank is really the only player that stood out to me for for UNH. And um, we we talked about the depth with Maine uh, and how you know and how that's kind of led to their their struggles. I think we can apply the same to. Uh, to UNH so I think I think I'd like to well I wouldn't say that I'd like to because every team in in Hockey East is going to be a tough challenge but if there were to be a team that 
uh, UMass would like look forward to if they wanted to, then I think that UNH would be like a good, a good pick. Yeah, it would be. They had success against you or they had success against UNH this year as well. They played them really early on in the season and uh, UMass was able to come away with wins in both those games. They were able to also win on the road for the first time since 2006 against them. So uh, definitely proven to win against that team. It has not been an easy season at all for the Wildcats, another team that was really good back, you know, 90s and 2000s and certainly struggled over the last decade to get back to where they were in Hockey East. Um, but, you know, the I think they really are also favored uh, against UNH in, in home games because I, th- I think UNH has had a real – bit of trouble trying to beat UMass on the road. I think they won a one nothing game at Mullins within the last couple of years. And they also remember they played a couple of years ago in the quarterfinals against UMass and ended up getting swept despite leading three, nothing in the first game. So looking at the records of these teams that they could potentially match up against the two and O against UNH, they haven't faced Maine yet. They went two and O against UMass Lowell, which is pretty impressive all things considered because they've that's a team they've also had trouble with in the past uh oh and i'm sorry uh one and one against merrimack uh two and oh against vermont i think they played vermont twice if i'm not mistaken uh yeah yeah so two and oh against vermont uh and they also went two and oh against northeastern which is interesting considering we know how well coached and, and talented that unh team or that northeastern team is so uh, there's a lot of picks on paper that you can choose from based on what you've seen. But I think the best case is them playing a team they recently faced. So if they have success against Maine, obviously that's the team you want to face. The problem is I don't know how likely it is they face Maine, and, you know, unless Vermont pulls off the upset. And then Maine also would pull off the upset and looking at who they would have to beat. Maine would have to beat uh, – they would have to beat UMass Lowell and then UConn would have to lose to Vermont. I really like UConn this year, by the way. I think they're a team that could make a deep run. I know we talked about it last week uh, on the show, and I guess I'll kind of reiterate that point because I know, Devin, you weren't on here, so I guess I'll ask you. uh, Out of these other contending teams, do you think there's one team that could potentially be a sleeper and make some noise that isn't one of those top three teams in BC, BU, or UMass? Well, Colin, uh, I mean – all things considered the bottom six UConn isn't a part of that because they've had a good season where in years past that hasn't been the case for them. But in the back of my mind, I touched on Northeastern who I'm kind of afraid of, but UConn is another team who I think the unit that UMass should be afraid of. If I'm not mistaken, they beat Boston college, um, which is another, you know, huge win for that team. Uh, They've given UMass some trouble this season. I would look out for them. Providence, I'm not too worried about. I know I'm kind of shifting gears here, but Providence, a team I feel like UMass should be able to handle. Um, They've seen them enough times. They know what to do. And after that last meeting, Colin, like you said, still fresh in their head. I wouldn't mind down the road seeing Providence on our side of the bracket or on UMass's side of the bracket. Um, But getting uh, circling back, UConn, definitely a team – uh, that I would want to look out for and definitely not want to uh, play, especially if they're coming off a few wins where they're hot. Yeah, I was actually looking at the wrong uh, standings when I was looking at the initial matchup. I was looking at the, you know, the regular standings that in the past they've done with, you know, the points and all that. But I forgot about that. They're using hockey's power index for a second. And right now the matchups would be as followed. Number six, Northeastern would host number 11, Vermont. 
Number seven, UMass Lowell would host uh, number 10, UNH. And then Merrimack at eight would host Maine at nine. All this subject to change, especially Merrimack and Maine, they're really close. I think Vermont, New Hampshire are pretty much wrapped up at 10 and 11. I don't think that's going to change. Um, it would take a little, I think it would take a lot too for Lowell to track down Northeastern in that spot. So I think the only thing really that could change, I guess, is the four through six and then the two and three. Um, because UMass definitely still has an opportunity to get that second seed. I don't think that's nearly as, as important as what's going on with Providence and Northeastern. I mean, they're playing essentially to get a bye right now, those two teams. Providence is really the favorite to hang on to that spot because they play UConn. So it's going to be tough for either of them to fall all the way down and, and lose out on that spot. Whereas Northeastern, they're kind of fighting an uphill battle. Um, Just to jump in here, I'm Colin, you're probably, I'm not going to go against your word, but I feel like UMass, the the thing that the commentators were hammering the whole last game on Nesson plus about the significance of the UMass Boston college game was if UMass won, they would hurdle BU. So not to sound uneducated or not understand what's going on, but you know, I'm hearing that they're three and then I'm hearing that from those guys that UMass should be a lock at two as long as they beat the Eagles, which did happen. Um, so just want some more insight into why that didn't eventually happen or, or what's the story there? Yeah. So they did, they did beat, uh, they, they did move up to two after beating BC, but then uh, I think BU had another game later that weekend. I think it was, uh, I think it was the next day on Saturday. I can't quite remember who they played. It might have been, uh, might have been Merrimack, but they, yep, yep. yeah, it was Merrimack. They beat them like four-two, and they they ended up getting the the HEPI score. Uh, it was it gave them more weight for a four-two win against Merrimack than you know the than UMass's win over BC. So um, that put them into it put BU in a second by 0.02 on the on the happy HEPI um so you know it's it's just that close where you know they they need to they need to basically hold on to that spot right and and basically keep UMass from taking it so and and, and the big thing too I think this actually the the weekend schedule it the, the way it's shaped up i mean bu's not playing any of the top teams so that's going to be a less of a gain for them if they win any of these games against these top teams than it would be in the past like for merrimack a big reason why it was their their wins are weighted more because they haven't played nearly as many games as these other teams but the thing is, is that cuts both ways so this weekend if bu splits i think i think that puts them in a really vulnerable spot where umass as long as they take care of business at maine they're going to go ahead and take over that second spot. So that's why I think really the pressure would be on BU here to have to win both of their games to find themselves in. Cause a loss to a loss to UMass Lowell or a loss to, um, to UNH could really damage where they're at there. And, you know, as we know, any given team can beat any given team in this conference. So I think the pressure really is put on that uh, on BU rather than UMass, especially with UMass, playing their one game at home against a team that's coming on a long travel. They've had a real down season as well. As long as they take care of business and the pressure would shift to BU on Saturday against UMass Lowell. And I, I, I wouldn't want to have to face the Norm Basin coach team 
to try to lock up a two seed. I think there's basically any other team you'd want to face or any other coach you'd want to face in the conference. So before we wrap up, I want to take one quick look though at the national picture right now. And as we know, BC was a top ranked team. They now have fallen to two behind North Dakota. And it's, it's interesting because for a while, it took a long time for writers to favor BC over North Dakota. And they were able to stick there for a while, as long as they kept winning. And then now that one loss to the number nine ranked team and that knocked them down. Part of it though, I think was because North Dakota defeated a quality opponent in number currently number 12 ranked Omaha, which helped them get back in that spot. So um, right now they're heavily, they were heavily voted first place, 37th out of 40 BC at number two, Minnesota is held tight at number three. Remember earlier on in the season when they were undefeated, they were uh, the number one ranked team, Minnesota state, which has been in the top five all season long, hangs out there at number four. I think they're a team where a lot of people are wondering how they would stack up against some of the top teams in the country because they do have some good talented teams in uh, the WCHA that they've been going up against. But at the same time, there's still been some teams where they're facing some of the weaker teams in college hockey. So that's certainly going to be a concern once they get to the NCAA tournament, which they certainly will at 16-3-1. Wisconsin at number five, they they have been they had an inconsistent start to the year. I think they were five and five at one point, but they have certainly turned a corner at 17, 8, and 1. UMass now at six, Michigan at seven, St. Cloud State at number eight. They've rebounded nicely. Well, actually they lost a couple of spots because of the UMass and Michigan wins, I believe. I think they got leapfrogged by both of them. Um, Minnesota Duluth at number nine. They're a team that had to rebound after a tough weekend last weekend and then BU rounding out the top 10. And then real quick, the, if the if the playoffs were as follows, this is how it would be for 11 through 16. Quinnipiac, Omaha, Bowling Green, Clarkson, Providence, and AIC. And then some of the bubble contenders would be Bemidji State, Northeastern, Lake Superior, and Michigan Tech. Uh, but I still think those top you know 12 or 13 are how it's going to look. I think the other three could change we know Atlantic's a guaranteed bid if you win that tournament I think that's the only way those teams will get in despite the season AIC has had but it's not certainly not guaranteed that Atlantic playoff picture has been pretty interesting with Army surging and Robert Morris having a really good season as well so AIC will certainly have their hands full to try to lock up that uh that 16 seed that most likely will take place I don't think the voters will, despite how good of a season AIC has had, I don't know if they'll be ruling in favor of them getting the uh, automatic bid. But after rattling off all those teams, who do you think is the favorite right now? And who do you think would be an underdog pick to end up winning the national championship? Oof, that's a loaded question. And on spot, I don't have too much of a thorough answer for you, Colin, honestly. Um, I'd say pretty much, all the top teams have had high points, low points throughout this season, as cliche as that may sound. Um, they've There's been, you know, peaks and valleys for all clubs. Um, if I had to pick a favorite to win it all, I mean, still, honestly, even after the last game, I'm going to have to go Boston College. They're just so strong, fundamentally sound. They have the best goaltender in the country in Spencer Knight. Uh, you know, such a backbone for that team. Um, so I'm going to go with the Boston College Eagles as my favorite. Um, but as a dark horse, uh, it's kind of tough because, you know, 
it's that same any given night mentality um, for any team. So, but if I had to take a prediction, uh, I would say definitely watch out for Michigan, uh, strong club coming in. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with the easy one here for uh, for favorite and go with North Dakota. But I mean, how could you go against them? They, they have such a strong club. They, they might be the deepest team in all of NCAA. They got Jake Sanderson among, among a, a core of stacked defensemen, uh, Shane Pinto. So I think obviously North Dakota is the easy pick, but I think it's a, a good pick for favorite to win the whole thing. And it's, it's kind of hard to predict a dark horse because, you know, there's, there's some teams that, you know, just come out of nowhere and win their conference tournaments. And that's, that's how they get in with automatic bids. And so all of, all of like, I'd say the 10 through 16, obviously not all of them are going to like miss out, but those are kind of bubble spots in case, in case there's a bunch of, you know, bunch of uh, dark horse teams that win their conferences. But um, I got to go with Quinnipiac. They've had a late surge just showing their way under the top, you know, top 10 in the rankings in some places. I know everything college hockey had them at nine or 10. Uh, USCHO has them at 11, but they've been, they've been surging up the rankings lately and, you know, they've, they've had a good history as of late. Um, so I think I got to go with Quinnipiac as my dark horse. So I'll make the easy pick for starters in terms of the favorite. I, I guess if I would still, I would uh, lean towards North Dakota right now as I, I do like BC a lot, but they, they've, they've had some struggles, especially on the power play that I think might hold them back when they start getting into these tough games. So my favorite right now is North Dakota. However, I am not trying to sound biased or anything like that, but if the UMass Minutemen go into the conference tournament and run the table and end up winning that conference tournament, I think that immediately puts them at the front of that line in terms of being having an opportunity, especially if they have to beat BU and BC on the way to winning their first ever Hockey East championship. I think anyone who comes out of Hockey East as a as the tournament winners usually deserves that you know leap towards being favorites. Now, last time this took place without, you know, playoffs being canceled. It was Northeastern who won it all. And they ended up, they ended up only being, I think a four seed in the NCAA tournament uh, after uh, UMass didn't uh, make it to the championship game. They'd lost to BC who was seven seed that year. But in a situation here, if it's a top three team, I think you could even say the same thing about BU. If BU is able to come in with a strong push, they automatically start going to that conversation. Hey, maybe this team can win. But yeah, I would say right now, North Dakota's a favorite, but I think if any of these teams come out and impress in the Hockey East playoffs, all of a sudden you have to talk about them because it's so hard to go through a lot of these teams in Hockey East. I mean, this is a year where Providence, a team that's usually, you know, one of the top teams is all of a sudden an average team in Hockey East and they're still a top 20 team in the country. So once again, another year where the conference is deep, dark horse pick, I got to go with Rand Pecknold's team in, in Quinnipiac. They have been impressive this year, despite not having a, a real big amount of opponents to face. 
with ECAC losing all the Ivy League teams as well as RPI and Union as well. So they really had a limited schedule to play this year. But this team is still really good. Uh, no question about it. They've been a, a, a constant contender in the ECAC. Keith Petrozelli is one of the top goaltenders in the country. Wilbraham Mass right in my neck of the woods. He has been uh, all world this year. I think he's a Mike Richter award candidate. I believe so. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, and, and the big guy that has been, you know, the, the most notable player for this team this year has been uh, Odin Tufto, who's a, a senior forward. I think he's a center and is, quickly put himself in the Hobie Baker uh, candidacy with how many points he's put up this year. Five goals, 35 assists in 25 games. That is so impressive to do. I don't care who you're playing up against. Tufto is the guy who's gotten better every single year. His career high in points is 42. It looks like he's going to come just short of that, but that's just in the regular season. We got playoffs left, and, and Quinnipiac right now is on the fast track to making that NCAA tournament. Watch out for them to make a big run when they have a, such a, a talented forward like Tufto and one of the better goaltenders in the country in Keith Petrozelli. I really think that they could surprise people just like they did when they won it all a few years back. Uh, so that's pretty much all I've got uh, to, to say about this NCAA tournament. The great thing is we'll know more as we get closer after conference tournament. I'm sure we'll have a huge breakdown of what the regionals look like once, you know, the, the tournament's filled out. We still got hockey East playoffs to talk about. We'll talk about that next week once the official seedings are out and we'll be coming up on these first play in uh, first round games that UMass won't be taking, uh, won't be a part of because they've already locked up one of those buys. Uh, but it's, it's, it's about to get a lot of fun in the world of college hockey. And it's, I'm really interested in seeing who comes away with that hockey East title. Will this be the year that UMass finally, wins their first in program history. Does BC finally get back to the top of the mountain after a couple of down years? Uh, is BU, you know, same thing. And I'm saying down years for them as a program, not down years for, you know, uh, one of those programs that are struggling. Being a seven seed and still almost winning the conference tournament is a down year for Boston College and Jerry York. But this is one of the most talented teams that York's had. They're certainly going to be the favorites going in despite losing games to be uh, to BU and UMass, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this, this tournament. And maybe we'll see a surprise winner. Maybe one of those bottom teams actually goes on a run and steals a, uh, an automatic bid and bumps out one of these bubble teams, whole lot to look out for. And hopefully we'll be back in the booth this weekend to call it. Remember UMass and Maine this Friday, two 30 in the afternoon. Can't watch it from home. Be sure to, Keep a lookout on Twitter, see if we'll be broadcasting the game. Early indications say that that's looking like the case, and I'm looking forward to getting back on the call. So until next time, for Andrew Golden, Devin Dobek, I'm Colin Casey. Thank you once again for tuning into the UMass Hockey Hour. We will see you next week, and be ready to talk about playoffs. So long, everyone.